Hi, this is Professor Smith. This podcast is going to focus on diabetic medications, both for type 1 and for type 2 diabetes. Insulin therapy is mainstay in treat is the mainstay of treatment in type 1 diabetes. We have this broken down on our chart between rapid, short, intermediate, and long-acting insulin. There are differences between these for the onset, peak, and duration. Um, each one of these sections, onset, peak, and duration, tell us when we need to be concerned about the highest chance of hypoglycemia, but also when the next dose could be due. So individually, we need to understand about the administration of insulin, which is going to be with a sub-Q needle. Um, but also, we try to mimic insulin therapy to what the pancreas would originally be doing. So after meals or during meals, you would have a peak in insulin levels released by the pancreas and then a baseline release of insulin 24 hours a day. So things that we can do is adjust the use of long-acting and short-acting insulin in various ways to better mimic how the body would release insulin. So overall looking at insulin, it's when we are administering it, it is metabolized in the liver, kidneys, adipose and tissue muscle. Um, um, adverse effects. The number one adverse effect is going to be low blood sugar. It can also cause a, a short term shift of potassium inside of the cells and um, can cause some um, relative hypokalemia. Also can cause hunger. Uh, contraindications to the use of insulin clearly would be hypoglycemia or a documented allergic reaction to insulin in the past. Um, in the acutely ill individual who has type 1 diabetes, their insulin demands are going to go up and down um, greatly when they are acutely ill. So, you know, we have some examples. So with a fever uh, and infection, probably their insulin requirements are going to go up. Potentially with diarrhea or uh, renal or hepatic impairment, uh, their uh, insulin demands might go down. So what are we going to do in the treatment of hypoglycemia after we use insulin? Um, this is uh, defined as a blood sugar that's less than 50. Um, initial symptoms consistent with hypoglycemia are tachycardia, palpitation, sweating, and nervousness. If left untreated, uh, symptoms progress to a headache, confusion, drowsiness, and fatigue. Uh, severe hypoglycemia will eventually lead to seizure, coma, and then potentially death. So hopefully we catch it well before that. And if we go back and talk about the initial symptoms, the tachycardia, the palpitation, sweating, and nervousness, remember that some of the medications individually that these people could be on, so beta, specifically beta blockers, can mask the signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia by not letting the heart beat too fast uh, and blocking the sweating and nervousness sensation associated with hypoglycemia. So the actual treatment um, 
is going to be first we want to make sure that they have an intact swallow. So testing their gag reflex, which is really just talking to them. If they're still able to talk with you and they're managing their secretions and swallowing their own spit, then we can go ahead and minister 10 to 20 carbs uh, of complex carbs. So half a turkey sandwich or a glass of uh, 2% milk. Um, we would want to stay away from orange juice or, um, you know, like a candy bar. Uh, not saying that we can't use those interventions, but really we need to be concerned about um, rebound hyperglycemia if we're giving them this huge, just these simple sugars, uh, which in the short term is going to fix the hypoglycemic problem, but then just leads to a secondary hyperglycemic event. So realistically, as long as they're mentating and they're you know protecting their airway and they're swallowing their spit appropriately, then let's go ahead and just give them a half a turkey sandwich or a milk or other some type of 20 grams of complex carbohydrates um, to help bring their blood sugar back around. And then after we do that, what we're going to do is recheck a blood sugar. Um, other cases when it's severe forms of hypoglycemia, we have IV dextrose and IM glucagon to be administered as well. So we can mix insulins. Um, the only insulin that cannot be mixed is long-acting or Glargine. All the other medications can be mixed. So the, um, the rule of thumb is um, regular, um, excuse me, you can mix regular with NPH. Uh, you're going to pull up the regular first and then the NPH. And then you're just going down to one syringe rather than having to stick them multiple times. The other saying is clear to cloudy. If you actually look at the bottles, one of them is clear, one of them is cloudy, and you go ahead and mix those together. And then the other way to um, remember how to mix them is RN, regular first, and then NPH. So RN, clear to cloudy, but then just also understanding that glargine should never be mixed with anything. And also of note, glargine has no peak has no peak. It has an onset and a duration, but no peak time. It's a very consistent um, serum levels. So once we get past um, insulin, we get into the oral diabetic agents. And these are mainly, these are going to be used only for type 2 diabetic. Biguinide is our first class of drug also known as metformin. Um, it's absorbed by the small intestine and um, makes the tissues more sensitive to the already circulating insulin. So it's relying on your body to still produce its own insulin, but it makes the tissues themselves more receptive to that circulating insulin. One of the best parts about um, biguanides is that it, they actually can help aid in weight loss, um, and um, it can also be treated uh, used to treat uh, PCOS. Uh, potential side effects, um, usually the ones you hear are diarrhea and abdominal cramping, and that's probably because they started the dose too high uh, and they couldn't tolerate it. So really this is one that we're going to ramp up over a month or two um, to our target dose to help decrease the chance of the abdominal cramping and the diarrhea. 
Lactic acidosis is a real concern as well. So any acute patient, and for our for our purposes, any acute patient is defined as anyone who's admitted to the hospital should not be on a biguanide or metformin. It, the risk of lactic acidosis is too high, and we can manage their blood sugar, especially in the inpatient setting, with insulin rather than using this uh, oral diabetic agent uh, that can increase and uh, worsen and cause lactic acidosis. Uh, biguanides are contraindicated for persons with heart failure, renal disease, and like I said, acutely ill. Our next class are the sulfonylureas, and this class promotes insulin release. It also uh, delivers, um, is derived from the um, sulfonamide antibiotic. So if you have um, a, an allergy to a sulfa drug, uh, this medication um, you would also have an allergy to. There are first and uh, second generation uh, agents. Uh, glipizide is our uh, medication, is our prototype. It is a second generation sulfonylurea. Uh, the first generation agents are less potent uh, and less convenient dosing. So we really st don't really prescribe the first generations um, as much. So the second generation is more potent, convenient dosing uh, as they have extended release forms. So side effects. This has a potential side effect of weight gain which can be defeating to individuals trying to lose weight as this is type 2 diabetes and usually obesity is associated with this. Um, diarrhea, uh, flushing, um, and then also know that if it promotes the release of insulin throughout the body, it can have the potential hyper, uh, hypoglycemic episodes. So checking a blood sugar is probably important um, periodically and if any symptoms of hyper hypoglycemia present. And then understanding that, again, we might be masking their hypoglycemia symptoms with beta blocker use. So the meglitidines, um, they stimulate the pancreas to release insulin. Um, they are an adjunct to diet and exercise. Um, they can be used as monotherapy, um, and must be taken within 15 to 30 minutes before, um, the meal is, um, eaten. So our prototype drug, uh, for the thiazolid Dinadides, excuse me for my pronunciation, hacking of that is again, please stick with me, pioglitazone. Um, this acts primarily by decreasing insulin resistance. It also increases insulin sensitivity by stimulating muscles and the liver to increase glucose utilization and decrease glucose production. This does not cause hypoglycemia. This class of medication only it basically increases the sensitivity and the utilization of, of the glucose at the muscular level. So 
It may be given with or without food, and this may take three to four months before we actually start to see the attended uh, glucose control. And by the way, that's actually when we're going to retake our hemoglobin A1C levels, which match up almost perfectly with that. Right at three months, we're going to recheck their hemoglobin A1C and see if we're getting better control of their blood sugars uh, on an individual level. So potential uh, headache, weight gain, fluid retention uh, may uh, have potential issues with the liver, and it may worsen heart failure. Um, it's bad with heart failure because it can increase fluid retention, and this could lead to potential life-threatening um, side effects. Um, Xenotide is a GLP receptor um, agonist, so in Cretin uh, mimetic, um, this is used in conduction in conjunction with metformin or a sulfonylurea. So basically, what this drug does is it slows gastric emptying and it stimulates glucose uh, dependent release of insulin. So it inhibits postprandial release of glucagon and it suppresses the appetite. Potential side effects include low blood sugar when combined with a sulfonylurea. But remember, a sulfonylurea by itself has the potential risk for hypoglycemia. This medication really is working inside of the stomach to slow gastric emptying and give the body more time to actually work correctly. It doesn't have a direct effect of releasing insulin, but when we use it with the sulfonylurea, it does have the risk of hypoglycemia. There's also a risk of pancreatitis and renal impairment.